The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Joel Van Zulen. I'm the pastor of the Anaheim Christian Reformed Church in Anaheim. And for those of you who are newer to the church, uh, it was over 50 years ago that the Anaheim CRC planted this church in Fountain Valley. And so, so thankful. Uh, there's a lot of families from this area going to Anaheim CRC. I think there was 12, and they thought, why don't we plant a church here? And so for over 50 years, God has been faithful to Fountain of Life, and so thankful for that. Um, I love your pastor. I love Pastor Matt Ford. Been friends with him for over 13 years, almost 14 years. Uh, he's been a mentor to me, and I'm so thankful that you guys have given him this opportunity to be on sabbatical uh, to refresh, to reconnect, to renew in his relationship with Christ, with his wife, with his family. Uh, what a gift. And I know you're probably excited that in three weeks, uh, Pastor Matt will be back. And so I'm excited too. But I pray that through this, you guys have grown. I'm so thankful that God has blessed this church with, with gifted, passionate elders like Phil, Habib, and Ed who have been preaching. What a gift that you have elders that have been equipped to preach. That's awesome, as well as other pastors. Pastor Andy, I know him, he's been here. Pastor Rick. Uh, so I'm so thankful for God's provision for you during this time uh, of, of uh, contemplating what he has in store for this church in the years to come. But I, I'm so thankful to be preaching from Colossians with you here this morning. Uh, we're almost to the end, or you're almost to the end of this journey that you've been going through in the book of Colossians. Uh, we know that this is getting towards the end of the letter because Paul... Uh, is talking about prayer. And when you look at a lot of Paul's epistles, uh, prayer is an inclusio, or like bookends for his letters. So at the beginning of the book, he gives his greeting, but then he talks about how he's praying, how he's thanking God for the Christians in Colossae. And now as we get to the end, he goes back to prayer, and then there'll be a greeting. I believe Habib is going to cover the final greeting next week. But that forms a bookend for this book of Colossians. It's how he finishes the letter to the Ephesians as well. Uh, that Paul is so dependent on prayer. And really, nothing in ministry happens without prayer. Prayer expresses our dependency on God. I appreciate Paul Miller uh, wrote a great book called um, A Praying Life. And in the book, Paul Miller says, there was probably no one more dependent, no human being was more dependent than Jesus Christ. He was the most dependent human being who ever lived because he only said what the Father told him to say and he only did what the Father told him to do. And you know what our challenge is? We are too independent from our Father in heaven. And so this is a gracious invitation to grow in dependence on God, our Father, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in the verses that were read this morning, uh, thank you for that scripture reading, uh, it might seem like a series of random statements is Paul is coming to the, letter, the end of this epistle. But I invite you, as we look at these, to, to view them as consistent concerns that Paul has for the church. And, and there is a theme that we'll look at as we go through this. Um, and so Paul is, is encouraging them to grow in their relationship with our Father in heaven through prayer, uh, to grow in, in relationship with, with Paul as they pray for him and pray for God to open up doors, but also for them to grow in their relationship with outsiders. Don't be afraid of outsiders. Don't stay away from outsiders, but be wise in your relationship with outsiders. So we're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, there's two commands in this text. The first is be devoted. 
Uh, I use the NIV version. I like the ESV too, but I've got the NIV, so we're going to use that phrase, be devoted or steadfast, is how the ESV puts it. Uh, We're going to look at Paul's prayer request. What are the things that he asked for prayer for? And then finally, this command to be wise. Be wise. Will you please pray with me as we prepare to look to God's word? Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for your unfailing love for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for revealing to us the mystery of Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we hear your word proclaimed this morning, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and compel us to be devoted to prayer. That we would be consistent in our Christian lives, that we'd be seeking and asking you to open up doors that the mystery of Christ would be revealed, that we would echo Paul's prayer that we may declare it clearly as we should, and that for all of us here this morning, we would be wise in our relationship with outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And so Holy Spirit, please lead us and guide us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, in verse 2 in in the NIV, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So we're going to look at this first section on being devoted. And again, when Paul says, be steadfast in the ESV or be devoted, this isn't a suggestion, it's, it's a command. Be devoted to prayer. Now, when you're devoted to something, you are loyal to it. When you're devoted to something, you persist in it, you remain in it, you continue in it, you're steadfast. And the thing is, everybody is devoted to someone or something. And the question is, what what are we devoted to? Now, I I need to watch myself this time of year. It's fall. I can be too devoted to football, okay? And it's funny, but it's serious. Like, uh, I'm from Iowa originally, so I'm an Iowa Hawkeye fan. Uh, and I can spend too much time thinking about, watching, reading about the Iowa Hawkeyes. Some of you might be involved in fantasy football. Whew, that's a devotion, right? Always checking your team, the injury report, you know, even maybe this morning you already looked, who, who's, who's going to play, who's not, changing your lineup. And, and people can get so devoted to these things. And they're not wrong. They're not bad as long as you have balance and it's not your primary devotion, You can enjoy it. You can enjoy being in a league with other people, watching games with people, enjoying your favorite team. But does that grip your heart a little bit too much? Where that's your desire? Or maybe even as you worship here this morning, you can't wait to get down with worship so you can go watch a game on TV? You know, if if Paul said, devote yourselves to football, being watchful and thankful, I mean, a lot of people, yes. I mean, USC, UCLA, whatever team is yours. But Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And that's really hard because sometimes prayer can feel like a waste of time. And let's be honest, it's hard to pray because we're praying to an invisible God and sometimes we wonder, does prayer make a difference? It's hard. It's hard because when we pray, we are confessing that we are completely dependent on our Father in heaven. Father, apart from you, no good can happen. And so please help. Please help. You know, actually, that's the most basic prayer in Scripture. Lord, help me. Sometimes we don't even know what that means, but Lord, help me. 
Lead me, guide me. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, devote yourselves to prayer. For Paul, prayer is indispensable. And when you read through scripture, you see how prayer is indispensable to so many people. When you think about the life of Moses, when Moses faced opposition from the people of Israel, what did he do? He would fall flat on his face before God. He would pray. When you look at David, David was a man after God's own heart, but he had many obstacles. And when you read the Psalms, almost half the Psalms are written by King David. What would he do as he's going through the hardships of life? He would devote himself to prayer. You look at Jesus Christ. He was devoted to prayer. He was devoted to being in communication with his Father in heaven. He would often get out to lonely places to pray. In the Garden of Eden pouring out, or Garden of Gethsemane, uh, pouring out his heart to God. And then you look at the Apostle Paul. His letters are filled with how he's praying for the churches and how he's asking them to pray for him. And so if you're gonna be devoted to something, be devoted to prayer. Now, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful. Now, being watchful is a, a military term, um, and it was a term that was used for guards, that if you were in the military and you were supposed to be guarding something, that they would have an imminent expectation that something was going to happen, and they would be alert, and they would be watchful. And Paul is encouraging the, the Christians in Colossae and us as well, to be watchful, to have this imminent expectation that God is gonna do something. Now, of course, this command to be watchful comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Mark 13, verse 35, therefore keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. So Jesus encourages, be watchful, uh, Matthew 26, verse 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So Jesus commands his followers to, to be alert, to have this imminent expectation, whether it's in regards to Christ coming again or in regards to sin. Be watchful, be aware, don't fall into temptation. You know, I believe that since Jesus ascended into heaven, every generation of his followers have had this expectancy that he's gonna come in their generation. And, and I hear this more and more now when you see what's happening in the world and, and the chaos and, and the turbulence, you know, people wonder, Jesus must be coming soon. All these things are happening. Wars of war or rumors of war, all these disasters around the world continue to happen. And so we have this imminent expectation, Jesus is coming soon and he is. We don't know when, but the reason why he's not coming is because God is unlimited in patience and he wants more people to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so through prayer, we are watchful. We're watchful for God to do something new, expecting that he's gonna show up. We're watchful in staying in communication with our commander in chief, Jesus Christ. Now it's important, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. You know, sometimes we can be watchful and being watchful can, can lead to anxiety and fear. And that's not to be our posture as Christians. We are to be watchful and thankful. And thankful because we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to worry. We can be confident that God has provided everything we need in this life and the life to come in Jesus Christ. 
And so as we are watching and waiting with this imminent expectation that God is gonna do something, we are so thankful because he is so gracious, he is so kind, he is a provider, he is a healer. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. Also, being thankful is a key characteristic of the Christian life. And as you guys have been going through Colossians, uh, the first two chapters of Colossians are all about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul often does in his letters when you look at Ephesians. The first chapters of Ephesians are all about the sufficiency of Christ, and, and it's all about the indicatives. If you're familiar with the indicatives and the imperatives in Scripture, uh, they're verbal forms. The indicatives are all that God has done for us. Indicatives are facts. These are what God has done. Imperatives are commands. In light of all that God has done for you, this is how you are to live as, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And so Colossians 1 and 2 are indicatives of, of what God has done for us in Christ. And then when you get to Colossians 3 and 4, there's commands. You are to throw off your old way of life. And you are to put on this new wardrobe in Christ, humility, patience, gentleness. And in, in, in Colossians 3, Paul teaches that this attitude of thanksgiving should permeate our lives. I'll, I'll read these verses from Colossians 3, 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That as Christians, we, we should be known not for being people who complain, not for being people who grumble, not for being people who gossip, but for people, being people who are so thankful that regardless of what happens in life, we, we trust that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, having this imminent expectation that God is gonna do something and being thankful. And then Paul gives some prayer requests, specifically how he wants people to pray for him. You know, I'm often surprised uh, when I visit people in, in my congregation, um, you know, we'll visit, hear how God is working in their lives, I'll read scripture, and then I'll say, how can I be praying for you? And you know, you should always be prepared. I hope you're always prepared that when somebody asks you, how can I be praying for you, that you have something that you can say, because I cannot tell you how many times I ask people, how can I be praying for you? I'm fine. Liar! <laughs> you are not fine. None of us is fine. Like all, all of us have so many things that people can be praying. I mean, pray for me right now for wisdom and parenting. I have teenagers and, and Lord have mercy. Nobody ever told me when, when they were little and needy, I thought, okay, this is hard. They're exhausting. That's nothing. Like when they become teenagers and you begin to lose control, like, okay, Lord, have mercy. Give me wisdom. I want to have a good relationship with my kids, but I can't control them anymore. Yeah, please pray for me. Please pray for me. Um, but Paul was always very specific in, in how people could pray for him. He says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And again here, Paul 
completely expresses his dependence on God. Paul realizes if God doesn't open doors to proclaim, to reveal the mystery of Christ, I can do nothing. He's completely dependent on God. And this request really supports the theme of the letter as well, that the mystery of the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ needs to be told. It needs to be shared. But unless God opens up doors and opportunities, we can do very little. You know, an open door is an idiom that we use quite a bit. You'll, you'll hear people use that, oh, you know, this door was opened, that door was opened. And it comes from scripture. I mean, Jesus said, knock, and the door will be open to you. How do you knock? Through prayer. You ask, you seek, you knock. Paul speaks often in his letters about God opening doors for him. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Or 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, now when I went to Tros to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Acts 14, verse 27, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Having doors open to us is a big deal. The question is, what doors are you praying for God to open? Are you asking God to open any doors for you? You know, sometimes uh, we all have family members, you know, that don't know Christ. Hopefully, you know people at work uh, who don't know Christ, and hopefully you're praying for them. God, would you please open a door for me to have a conversation with them? Would you please open a door for me to, to build a stronger relationship with them? You know, and, and maybe sometimes you get frustrated. Maybe sometimes you pray for a little while, and then when you don't see anything happening, you kind of just give up, and okay, well... No, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, having an imminent expectation that God is going to do something, being thankful, and asking God to open doors. And, and I hope that as Fountain of Life Church, uh, I know you guys are in small groups, that you're sharing with each other. You know, who, who are you praying for God to open a door to the way of faith? Uh, my wife and I served in missionary, uh, as missionaries in China for two years. And uh, we went there as English teachers to teach with excellence, to build relationships with our students. They were college students in the hope of sharing the gospel. And uh, China is a communist country, so you have to be wise in how you do that. Um, but my wife had 400 students and I had 400 students. Uh, we each had eight sections of 50 students and a lot of students. And the organization that we went with, uh, English Language Institute, encouraged us uh, Pray for three students. You have, you have 400, but just ask God to put three students on your heart who you would like to open up doors to build relationships and to have spiritual conversations with. And, and so we, we began teaching there, and um, you know, it surprised me. When you see somebody from a different ethnic background, you think everybody in that ethnicity looks alike, right? So when my wife and I went there, they thought my wife and I were sister, brother and sister. They thought we looked alike. But when we went to that first classroom and you have all the, you know, dark hair, brown eyes, all these students, they all look alike. 
But then after a couple of weeks, you begin to see the differences, you learn their names, you get to know their personalities, and, and they're all unique and different and wonderful individuals. And, and God did place, he placed three of my students on my heart. And so first we would pray, God, who, who, are you, who would you wanna place on my heart to build a relationship with? And there were three students. And, and when you are intentional about building relationships with someone, you look for opportunities to talk to them, to hang out with them. And my wife did the same with three students. We had two teammates at the university we were teaching at. They each had three students. And you know what God did? And, and we were persistent in prayer. Like every day as a team, okay, these are the three students, let's, let's pray. I'll pray for your three, you play, pray for my three, and just very focused on praying for these people. And it was amazing what God did. I don't know why you're, we're surprised when God answers prayer, but when, when we persist in prayer and we have this imminent expectation, we're watchful, okay, God, how are you gonna work? God opens up doors. And the, the great thing about China is it's a communist culture. And so I was praying for my three students. They didn't know each other, um, but David was one of them. And David and I built a relationship uh, and he would ask questions about me and eventually ask questions about faith. And, and part of it was they wanted to learn English more, but I would ask him, Dave, would you like to study the Bible? He's like, sure. Now he had five roommates in his room at this university. And so it's a communist culture. He invited all five of his roommates. So from praying for one student, there's a Bible study of six. And then I had another student I was praying for, Holub, and that's their English name, of course. But Holub, same thing, had, had conversation. Um, hey, Holub, do you wanna study the Bible? Um, sure, uh, invite friends. He invites all five of his roommates. So from praying for three students, there's three different Bible stu studies of 18 total. To God be the glory. Now, not all of those, while I was there, received Christ. Uh, a few of them did, and there's nothing better than when you pray for somebody and you put in the work and you're praying for the Holy Spirit to make uh, the mystery of Christ clear to them, and then they, they receive it and accept it, it's glorious. But, but who are you intentionally praying for that God would open a door? Maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, a brother, a sister, a coworker, but to every day, God, would you please open a door to share the gospel with this person? And this is what Paul is asking for. And the amazing thing about Paul is, you know, sometimes when, when things happen in life, we're so quick to think that that door is shut. Now, do you remember where the apostle Paul is writing this letter from? He's in prison. Now the apostle Paul could think, oh, I'm in prison. God, you must be shutting all the doors for me to do evangelism because the prison door has been shut, but oh no. <laughs> oh no, even though the prison door has been shut, Paul sees open doors to share with other prisoners, to share with the guards, to share with everybody around him. And I love that perspective that when, it, when one door shuts, what are other doors that God is opening? And guess what? You go through those doors with joy. I love his perspective. In 2 Timothy 2, verses eight to nine, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But I love this phrase, but God's word is not chained. God's word is not chained. And so Paul is freely sharing that word even while he is in chains. And Paul, when he gives that request, there's two purposes that he would like to see happen as a result of praying for doors to be open. Number one, that the mystery of Christ may be proclaimed or revealed. Uh, that, that's his first hope. 
that the mystery of Christ may be proclaimed or revealed. Uh, Now that word reveal is helpful. Paul says that there's the mystery of Christ. A mystery is a secret. If something is a mystery, it means there are many people who don't understand it and it needs to be explained to them. It needs to be revealed to them. It needs to be shared with them. And so that, that is Paul's first purpose in, in having a door being opened that the mystery of Christ may be revealed, that we can tell people the secret of just how much God loves them and what God has done for them. When there's something that you wanna reveal to someone, you want them to know it, you want them to receive it, you want them to see it, you want them to believe it. And as Christians, we we want everybody to know the secret of God's creation made known to us in scripture, the secret of his salvation made known to us in Jesus Christ. For people who are unbelievers, these things are mysteries to them. They don't understand creation. They don't understand salvation. They don't understand their purpose. And because God has revealed these things to us by his word and spirit and given us faith in Jesus Christ and new birth and new life in him, we can share this mystery, this wonderful mystery with other people. You know, I hope that the more that you grow in Christ, the more that you're amazed. The more you're amazed at what God has done for you. You know, Tim Keller says it well. Um, Part of the mystery of, of knowing Christ is knowing that we are more sinful than we dare to admit and yet we're more loved by God than we can possibly imagine. That's a mystery. Christ is a mystery to unbelievers. They don't get it. They don't see him for who he is. They don't know him. They don't trust him. And God gives us opportunities as his people to reveal that mystery, to share it with other people. So one, that the mystery of Christ may be proclaimed, but then the second result, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The gospel needs to be proclaimed clearly. It's not just about proclaiming Christ, but about knowing the person where they're at and in guiding them and leading them to unpack the mystery of Christ. And Paul not only wants this for himself, but he wants this for all Christians, which is why he ends with this command in this section, be wise. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, I do like the way the ESV translates this. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And again, that's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command to walk in wisdom. And really, this, this shows the emphasis of what Paul's letter to the Colossian Christians is all about. Now, Colossians is a different letter. The Corinthians were out of order. Uh, the Corinthians were using their freedom in Christ as a license to sin. And so when you read through First and Second Corinthians, Paul is dealing with those issues that they are out of order and they need order in their relationship with God and each other. And it's also different from Galatians. When you look at Galatians, false teaching had come into the church and they are legalistic. They're fo- focused more on what they do or don't do than on what Christ has done for them. But the Colossians are different. Uh, the Colossians need encouragement. They're living in a challenging cultural context in in the first century uh, in the Roman Empire, and they're a small church. They're a small church. They're a faithful church. Paul praises God for how their faith is growing. Uh, But they could be intimidated by these larger, more confident groups like the Colossian Jews, very confident, 
And they're a small church. Anaheim CRC is a small church. Fountain of Life is a small church. You know what the good news is? God loves small churches. Do you know that? God loves small churches. And sometimes I hear this at Anaheim CRC too. Oh, you know what? Um, We're so small. But our God is so big. (laughs) Our God is so big. Never underestimate what God can do as you are devoted to prayer, watchful and thankful, and as you are praying, God, open up doors in our community. Open up doors in my family. Open up doors in my workplace. Open up doors in my neighborhood where I can make known the mystery of Christ and for us to be wise. You know, too often, I think Christians are more wise about the way they interact with each other than the way they act with outsiders. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes you come to church on Sunday and, okay, I I need to act this way. I need to speak this way. I need to worship this way. But then Monday through Saturday, do you act differently among outsiders? What Paul is saying, no. You, You need to be wise in the way you act towards outsiders because they're watching you. Outsiders are watching you. Is there, is there anything different about this person because he's a Christian? Do people in your workplace know that you're a Christian? Is your life that distinctive? Not that you're bragging about it or talking about it all the time, but do you live in such a distinctively faithful way the doctrines of Scripture that they know there's something different about you and how you speak and how you treat people and how you respond to what's happening in the world, not with complaining, not with uh, grumbling about politics, but hopeful that somehow God, God is working. God is active. You know, Paul says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Some religions believe in hiding from outsiders. So you want to be cut off from outsiders because they're dangerous and you're fearful towards people who are not like you. But as Christians, we actually have a responsibility to outsiders to share with them the mystery of Christ. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Time is pregnant. Time is pregnant. If you are not actively engaged in communing the truth of the gospel, then then pray that God would open up doors for missionaries who you support or open up opportunities for other people. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. But if you know people who do, God, please open up doors for these people who have that gift of evangelism. That the church is not just to be a a holy huddle, but we're to be engaged in communication with people outside the church. Paul says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Gracious communication is attractive. It's delightful. It's pleasant. But you need to know this about gracious communication. It's not efficient but it is effective. You know, I talked about the challenges of parenting teenagers and and sometimes in my parenting, I just wanna tell them what to do and I wanna tell them as, you know, harshly as possible and as clearly as possible so that they do what I say, but it's not very effective. It doesn't help the relationship very well. Sometimes in my relationship with my wife, I just wanna say something very clearly to her so that she understands it. That's usually not very effective. Gracious conversation is not efficient, but it is effective. 
And to be a gracious communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be a patient communicator, trusting that the Holy Spirit, he has his own timetable. And the Bible says that God is unlimited in patience. I am not. (laughs) I could be a very impatient person and I wish that people's spiritual growth, their faith in Christ would happen quicker. But you know what? Um, God, God is doing something beautiful and, and he is taking time in bringing that beauty into being. And so for, for us to be gracious in our communication with each other, that we're patient, that we're kind, and in our relationship with outsiders, that we're not trying to get people from point A to point B as quickly as possible, but we want them to get there as graciously as possible. And that takes time. You know, Paul gives the picture that as Christians, we're gonna have lively conversations with people outside the church. And I love the picture that we get in Acts chapter 17 when Paul is invited to speak at Mars Hill with all the leading philosophers of the day. Paul could have stood before them and blasted them for their idolatry. How dare you have all these idols and false gods, you foolish people. But when you read Acts chapter 17, do you know what Paul does? He finds a place of connection. And Paul says, men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. As I walked around your city, I saw your inscriptions and I even found an altar that said to an unknown God. And what you proclaim is unknown, I will make known to you. What a gracious communicator. Finding a connection. Finding connection, asking for the Holy Spirit to give wisdom to have your conversation seasoned with grace. You know, when you think about salt, uh, salt just makes food taste better. I love salty fries, right? I love salty soup. Not too salty, right? You don't want too salty because that's not good, but you want it to have salt. And so Paul says, season all your conversations with grace. May they be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now here's the reason why so that you may know how to answer everyone. When your conversations with outsiders are full of grace and seasoned with salt, your life is gonna be so distinctive that people are gonna ask questions. They're gonna ask questions. And so Paul says, when when you talk in a gracious way, it's not gonna be efficient. It may not happen quickly, but it's gonna be effective. And over time, they're gonna begin to ask you questions about why you think the way you do and why you act the way you do. And Paul says, be prepared. Be prepared to give an answer to anyone. You know, the Christian life is so unusual. It's so unusual to people in this world. Jesus' life was so unusual. And you see this, when, when somebody's life is unusual, they get asked a lot of questions. Jesus' life was unusual, and because the relig- religious leaders were against him, they began to pelt him with questions toward the end of his life. Uh, our family is reading through the Gospel of Mark for devotions. I'm excited that Pastor Matt's gonna start a series in the Gospel of Mark coming up in three weeks. But when you look towards the end of Jesus' life, the religious leaders are trying to ask him questions to trip him up. And I love the one where... The Sadducees come up to Jesus and they flatter him. Teacher, we see that you are not swayed by the words of men, but that you teach the truth. Taxes. Should we pay taxes? See, people not only hate taxes today, but they hated taxes back then. And actually, I would encourage you to Christians, don't hate taxes. 
Be so thankful for how God provides for you that you can pay this social tax. Um, don't complain. God, thank you. Thank you that you provide that I can pay taxes. But I love Jesus' response. Do you remember his response? So they ask him this question. He's a, 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 such a wise rabbi. He always responds to a question with a question. And so he says, uh, show me a coin. And so they show him a coin. Who, whose inscription on it? Caesar. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. And even though they came to test them, the text says that they left amazed. <laughs> that even though they don't like him, even though they're against him, they are amazed by him. May our conversations always be seasoned with grace and salt. And so Paul says, be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for God to open up doors that the mystery of Christ may be revealed. Pray that it would be revealed clearly. That's his request. And then be wise in the way you act towards outsiders because the world is watching. The world is watching. Have gracious communication. It's not efficient, but it is effective. And always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. I mentioned before that we lived in uh, China for two years and we would have what was called... Um, English corner. And so we would go on the campus and all the students who wanted to practice English could come and practice with the foreigners. And they would ask lots of questions. What's your favorite Chinese food? Yao Ming was playing in the NBA at the time. So do you know Yao Ming? Uh, do you know Michael Jordan? Um, they'd ask all these questions. But then it would come to a point uh, where some students would, would ask questions about Christianity. They knew we were Christians. And, and they would ask questions. And when they would ask those questions, we'd kind of take them off to a side to have deeper conversations away from the crowd. And uh, these one students asked me, they're like, you, you seem so positive and, and hopeful about life. Why? And so I asked them a question. Why are you not hopeful about life? China has the one-child policy. And so two only children would get married. They would have a child. So that's one person they need to support. But then they would each have two parents and they'd have to support their two parents. And then they would have grandparents. And they would have to support their grandparents. So one couple would potentially have 13 people they would have to support. And they were English teachers in the countryside. They did not make very much money. And they just felt crushed by the weight of expectations that were placed on them and they felt kind of hopeless. They felt hopeless about the future. And they said, how do you have hope? And I said, I, I believe that there, I have a father in heaven who loves me, who sees me, who hears me, and who has provided everything I need through his son, Jesus. And I don't need to worry because our father in heaven owns everything in this world and he gives everything that we need each day. And, and these students would listen to that and they would think about it. And David was in that conversation when I was praying for, he asked that question, I could respond. And then a Bible study started after it. But as Christians, we are different because we have hope. We're different because we know the mystery of Christ and, and that, that is our life. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, as Christians, we are different in how we view death. Do we grieve death? Yes. But through faith in Christ, we know that death is the gateway to eternal life. 
And the world needs to know this. Because Jesus came and lived the perfect life we can't live, because he died the death that we deserve, because he rose from the dead and he has ascended on high, we don't need to fear death. And so I, I pray for Fountain of Life. You know, God has blessed this church for over 15 years. He has blessed you in relationship with Pastor Matt for over 17 years. And he's raising up people within this church to preach, to share the gospel. You guys have been blessed with elders and deacons who are faithful. And my prayer for Fountain of Life is that God would use you to continue to make the mystery of Christ known in Fountain Valley and beyond. And I pray that as you prepare to receive Pastor Matt back, that you guys would be devoted to prayer. How are you praying for Pastor Matt? I'm sure you're praying for him, but are you praying for him and his family specifically while he's on sabbatical? Pray for him every day. As he comes back, God, God, as Pastor Matt comes back, as we continue to ministry together, would you please open up doors? Maybe doors that we didn't even think of, doors that we didn't even consider, but God, would you open up these doors? Because when God opens up doors, guess who gets all the glory? God does. Because we realize apart from prayer and apart from God responding, nothing happens. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for your word. Thank you that your word is truth, that your word is filled with grace, that your word reveals to us the mystery of Christ. We thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would fill us more with, with the Holy Spirit, that we would understand more, that we would be devoted to prayer, dependent on you, that we would be looking for, for doors to open, that we would have this imminent expectation that God, you are present, you are active, you are working in this world. Forgive us when we forget that. Forgive us when we are distracted by the things of this world and, and we forget to pray or we try everything in our power to fix things. And finally, we realize we can't do it. We need you, we need your help. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders that we would make the most of every opportunity you give us every day to be light, to be salt in this world for you. Lord, help us always to be prepared to give an answer as people ask us questions. May our lives be so distinctive that it prompts questions. And Lord, I pray for Pastor Matt that you continue to bless him and Marsha and the children as they're on sabbatical, that you'd prepare him to return back here in three weeks, that you would fill fountain of life with eager anticipation of, of what you're gonna do. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to raise up people in this church that are delighted to grow in the gospel, that are being prepared to share the gospel. And God, we pray that in all these things, you would receive the glory and the honor. Thank you so much for your love for us in Christ. Please open up doors for us today to share it with others. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.